Welcome to the SLP Happy Hour Podcast. In today's solo episode, I'll be sharing my key takeaways from the 2022 ATIA conference, which I attended live in Orlando, Florida. So if you're ready for my best AAC takeaways from the conference, stay tuned. My name is Sarah, and I own a clinic here in Oregon, where my current caseload consists mostly of birth to five autism, AAC, and childhood apraxia of speech. Before I owned my clinic, I worked for many years in the school system. You're listening to the SLP Happy Hour podcast, where we talk about easy lessons, lessons gone wrong, burnout, mental health, trauma, and more. We are here for you because it's not easy working in this profession, and by normalizing the hard parts and connecting with each other, we can live happier lives as SLPs. Up today, I'll be sharing a bit more about the behind the scenes of my trip from Oregon to Florida, which was during the Omicron surge, unfortunately, what the conference was like and what I learned there. Before we begin, are you looking for some print and go handouts you can use to help educate parents and teachers about communication disorders? On Teachers Pay Teachers, you can find Parent Handouts Bundle, and I keep adding to it, most recently a handout set on selective mutism. The Parent Handouts Bundle includes printable packets, mostly of about three to five or ten pages or so on a variety of topics, including learning the R sound, autism, fluency disorders, speech sound disorders, tongue thrust, language disorders, selective mutism, and more. You can find the bundle by going to teacherspayteachers.com and searching for the Parent Handouts Bundle by SLP Happy Hour, or by following the link in the show notes. And my favorite tip about this bundle, it's also really helpful for new SLPs or for SLPs who haven't treated a disorder like tongue thrust or selective mutism in a long time, it's a great review. And these packets are really chock full of tons of information. So they are also mini guides for you. And I do refer to them sometimes. For example, if I have a new fluency client, I'll often review my parent handout for fluency. So again, take a look at the bundle on Teachers Pay Teachers, and maybe it can be as helpful to you as it's been for me. So let's talk about the AAC conference I went to. This episode will be part almost like YouTube travel travel vlog style and part educational, the tips that I learned at the conference. And I will include timestamps in the show notes. So if you want to skip ahead to any specific part, if, for example, you're not interested in hearing about the travel experience, you can just skip right ahead. So first up, I'm going to talk about the travel. This trip really morphed into a family affair for me as I traveled with my mom and my husband, Alex, and we stayed with my in-laws in Orlando. And um, after I talk about that, I'll talk about 10 lessons I learned at this year's ATIA conference. So the 2022 ATIA conference, that stands for Assistive Technology Industry Association. The ATIA conference is a yearly conference. I believe it is always in January in Orlando, Florida, and it's always about AAC. It's not specifically designed for SLPs. There were OTs, vision teachers, special education teachers, and AAC coaches and specialists there. And a majority of the attendees seemed to be AAC coaches and specialists working for large districts at the school age level. My own interest in AAC started in late 2021, so not too long ago. 
I started to realize how many of my birth to five autistic learners really needed earlier access to AAC. In the area where I live, the birth to five program doesn't do a lot of high-tech AAC, and kids who do get high-tech devices typically don't get them until kindergarten or not at all. In an effort to at least get my own caseload access to AAC earlier, I knew I needed to learn more. What kept me from having this lightning bolt AAC moment earlier? Well, there were a variety of reasons, and I'll share them here in case you may have some of these same roadblocks as well. First of all, although the last five years or so have been me working in my own clinic, this is the first year I am full-time in my own clinic. For the first four years of running my clinic, I did my clinic work part-time and I worked in the schools part-time. And before that, I worked full-time for the schools for many years. Because of this, my overall caseload up until now tended to be older students, and I didn't have a lot of students who needed or used AAC. Instead, in the school system, I worked with school-age kids with articulation disorders and language disorders, and in my clinic, I really focused on childhood apraxia of speech. While AAC absolutely can and should be offered to kids, for example, with apraxia, my students that I was seeing were progressing very well with verbal speech, and so AAC wasn't really a need for my particular childhood apraxia of speech caseload. In fact, as the first full year working in my own clinic, um, that means I'm working a lot more daytime hours in my clinic versus before I would work in the schools in the days and maybe uh, the clinic in the evenings or certain days a week. So since I work in the days, uh, those, are, those are times when school-age kids are at school. So in the past year, my overall caseload went from maybe 60% elementary kids and 40% preschool to more like 90% birth to five and 10% school age. So there was a big change in my own caseload over the past year. As my caseload has shifted to mostly younger students who are emerging communicators, I've realized, again, they need access to that AAC. So as my own caseload has changed, my skills have needed to build and shift to keep up. In trying to learn more about AAC, I hit two major roadblocks. One was my own knowledge of AAC, and specifically finding information on preschool AAC, when so much of what's out there is for school-age students. And secondly, it was how to get my hands on devices, so funding. So let's dig into roadblock one, my own knowledge of AAC. If you are also working to build more skills in this topic, um, this month and last month, on the podcast have been dedicated to practical how-tos and essential therapy tips for AAC, so I'd encourage you to listen to those episodes if you haven't already. So once I realized I needed to build my own skills in this area, I took all the online courses I could find. Uh, I found searching for AAC in the cloud. It's the conference put on by the CoughDrop app, I found on that website I could watch courses from past year's conferences about AAC, and I could really pick out topics that were applicable to my practice, and I found that resource very helpful. I also listened to the Talking With Tech podcast. I was really focusing there on listening to episodes, focusing on the preschool crowd. And I also signed up for the Learn, Play, Thrive AAC course, which I'm currently in the middle of taking. So I, I can't really comment as to how helpful it is because I'm just kind of in the middle of getting all this information from that course. 
And all these resources were great, but they also felt very, very fragmented. I have pages of notes and plenty of what I'd call AAC philosophy knowledge. I knew about snug, robust systems and modeling, but I was still frustrated because after all that time learning, I still didn't have the answer to my essential questions. Number one, what does AAC intervention really look like for birth to five students? Number two, how can I get high-tech AAC devices and robust systems in the hands of my students? Who will pay for them and what is the process to obtain them? No matter how many courses I took, I felt like I wasn't learning more as I took more classes. I was just learning the same things said in different ways. I also realized that I had mostly an academic, not a practical understanding of AAC, and I didn't really understand the big picture and how these ideas fit together to inform my practice. I didn't need to go wider or in other words, take more of these one hour or one-off courses, I needed to go deeper and understand how the concepts fit together. So I decided pretty suddenly and not long before the conference was going to be held to attend ATIA so that I could get more knowledge. I would be able to stay in Orlando, where the conference is held, with my in-laws. And my husband, Alex, would be able to go with me and see his parents. In the meantime, I talked to my mom, who lives in Portland, and realized that she was feeling cabin fever and really wanted to travel as well, but didn't want to do solo travel. She wanted to travel with others. So we all decided to fly out together. Alex, me, and my mom, and my in-laws graciously offered to host all of us. I haven't traveled on a plane since COVID started, so in two years, pretty much, um, and that's been purposeful. And without getting too much into the weeds here, I considered this trip carefully and ultimately decided that gaining more AAC knowledge, seeing Alex's parents, and giving my mom a chance to travel, there were just so many benefits to going to Orlando. And so when I weighed the risk and benefits, I decided to go ahead and go. Travel during the Omicron surge was interesting. I knew I'd be masked for the planes, airport, and conference, and the ATIA required vaccinations and masking. That made me feel a bit better, but I still didn't know what to expect from pandemic travel. One of my biggest concerns was the TSA checks on both sides of the trips of the security, which can involve long lines, getting baggage searched, and travel delays. I also knew we were switching planes in Denver on both sides of the trip and that our turnaround time to get from gate to gate wasn't long. So I was hoping we'd make our connections. The day we left, we took the train to the airport um, from my mom's house. And thankfully in Portland, the security was quick and smooth. It really couldn't have gone better. I breathed a huge sigh of relief. Both flights were pleasant enough, although our layover time between flights was shortened, so we had to basically run to the next gate while eating a sandwich <laughs> that we had packed in our bags um, so that we could get from gate to gate and eat lunch. Also, celebrity sighting, at the Denver airport, I saw Saturday Night Live cast member Bowen Yang get out, get off of a flight coming from New York, so that was cool, you know like with sandwich in my mouth, running, sweating, holding my mom's hand and pulling her down the aisle, looking super cool. So anyway, 
We arrived at Orlando around 9.30 p.m. Alex's parents picked us up at the airport and we had a late dinner at their place and went to bed. The next morning was pretty rough. I didn't fully understand how much the time change would feel uh, difficult and what it would be like. So I was going from Pacific Standard Time to Eastern Standard Times where things were three hours later. So after that long day of traveling, I got up at 3 a.m. my time, which was 6 a.m. Orlando time, to pack my food for the conference, get breakfast and lunch ready, um, and get in the car for the 30 to 45-minute drive um, to the conference center from my in-laws, depending on traffic. I felt pretty zom zombie-like for that entire day. It was rough. <laughs> Uh, but that day was brightened by the fact that I attended a full day pre-conference session with Rachel Maydell and Chris Bouguet uh, from the Talking With Tech podcast on creating empowering learning experiences for AAC users. I was incredibly excited for a full day of AAC learning from the same teachers and from those teachers, and it did not disappoint. The next few days were a blur. Every session I attended was wonderful, but I had three major highlights. One was that full day um, pre-conference session with Rachel and Chris. The second was Lance McLemore's presentation called Objects of Inspiration, where Lance, who is an AAC user, shared how disabled people are often treated as something different, inspirational objects, which can actually increase our distance socially between disabled and non-disabled people. And the third highlight was uh, Lauren Enders and Sarah Gregory's session on using Canva in sessions to create open-ended AAC activities. If you're not familiar, Canva is like a graphic design website. And since then, I actually haven't used Canva for AAC users, but I am using it pretty much every day. I'm using it a ton for my students with apraxia of speech. Um, I'm using it a ton for literacy activities. So if that sparks your interest, I would be very happy to do a separate episode all about how I use Canva in my speech therapy sessions. Um, so if you're interested in that, reach out to me on Instagram or use the contact form on our website and let me know um, if I get enough interest, I can do an episode on that. While I was at the conference, my family seemed to have a great time in Florida, which made me very happy. I actually wasn't jealous. I was where I wanted to be learning about AAC, and they were having a great time in Florida, which was fantastic. They went on an airboat ride to see alligators. They went to the zoo, and they did all sorts of home projects at my in-law's house. And once the conference was over, Alex, my mom, and I all drove out to Melbourne, Florida to see the ocean. This was a last minute unplanned trip on our last day in Florida. And we decided to go since my mom had never seen the Atlantic Ocean and she loves the beach. We saw so many birds there, great white heron, sanderlings, royal terns, pelicans, and a peregrine falcon. My mom still says that was her favorite day of the trip. And I'm so glad we took that day when we were all tired, when we knew we'd be flying home the next day, and we drove out to the beach for a nice, long, sandy walk. It was a special day. Heading back home after the conference, heading back to Oregon, the Orlando airport ended up being quite stressful. We waited in a line for security for TSA that was maybe a mile long or so. It, it was over an hour of a line. 
um, just to even get to the end of the line, it took us a really long time to walk to the end of the line. Um, once we got to the x-ray machines, it wasn't really clear what we needed to separate. And finally, we found out that we needed to take out large electronics, which is what we were told. So both my mom and I got our bags searched. Hers had a phone. Mine had a Kindle, which were, we thought, small electronics. So that delayed us even further after waiting in that long line. It was not a pleasant experience. Um, and, you know, some of the items we put through the x-ray machine never came back because it was just pandemonium and crushing bodies. So some of our items were lost as we went through TSA. So as far as my own stresses about the TSA line, this was really as close to a worst case scenario as I've had. And it was truly crowds, throngs of people, masses of lines, a really inefficient and confusing process to go through TSA. And they kept thinking that if they'd been more clear about what they wanted separated, they wouldn't have to check so many bags. Um, at least when I was there, they were searching probably 40% of the individual's bags that went through. Um, so not 40% of the bags, but 40% um, of the people who walked through had their entire bag searched, which seemed like an awful lot and like it would slow them down. So that was the security. On both of our flights home, we changed planes in Denver again, and it was a quick changeover, but it went smoothly. I did not see Bo and Yang that time, unfortunately. Uh, the flight staff they didn't enforce mask wearing, which was too bad because, you know, if you don't, people won't do it. But I can also imagine how exhausting it is to do that all day long when people just aren't following the rules. So um, we got home later, had a late night in Portland, and the next day we drove um, to our small town um, five hours away from Portland. Overall, the trip to Orlando was smooth, but the trip trip back was pretty rough between security flights. I, I, I got pretty motion sick. Um, and as far as the conference in general, I really enjoyed the ATIA um, conference from the courses to the venue to the organization of the conference as a whole. I would absolutely go again. Um, and so let's get to what I learned. And if you're working out or driving or cleaning your house or out for a walk and you can't write them down, these 10 tips will be in the show notes. You can always get the show notes by going to slphappyhour.com forward slash show dash notes. And specifically, this is episode 117. So after show dash notes, you can do a forward slash 117 and get to them. And um, I will link these website show notes in your podcast player. So here's what I learned at ATIA. Number one. Don't assume the child isn't attending to modeling. Because I work with the under five-year-old set, I had been getting frustrated because it seemed like with all the activity changes and short attention spans of young children, they just weren't attending to models. I learned at the conference that AAC modeling is a lot like how kids pick up sounds from hearing words in conversation, or maybe they may pick up some print awareness or story grammar from looking at books. Language, whether with mouth words or AAC or a combination of both, is learned from lots and lots of exposure and modeling. So we are going to continue to mod model whether we think kids are attending or not. And we're going to acknowledge that kids may be noticing our models even when it looks like they aren't paying attention. The second thing I learned at ATIA tip two or lesson two is to teach words. 
don't just count on modeling to be enough. Really immersing myself in AAC, I realized I was modeling quite a lot, but I wasn't teaching enough. For example, we may say go while playing with a gear spinner toy, but I wasn't really sure how to use a variety of activities to include books, maybe apps, maybe some games, um, maybe some routines at home to really specifically teach those specific words. For example, um, in order to teach, I could get out the brown bear book and we could work on each page and say see on our device um, on every page where it occurs as an example. That would be more teaching. Um, or we could do the POG app and I could model look or some um, comments. So I'm still learning how to make my teaching more robust so it isn't just modeling, but at least from what I understand now, and I want a clearer understanding of, hey, what's the difference between teaching and modeling? Like, I can certainly guess, but um, I would love a good definition. So if you have it, let me know. Um, but from what I see, teaching involves multiple opportunities to practice a word in several different routines or activities throughout the day. So that's something I want to be doing more teaching words, not just modeling. Lesson number three, sometimes, and we could even say oftentimes, parent training is the intervention. Because I'm working in a clinic, I often feel pressure to show I'm doing work. Because of that, prior to ATIA, most of my sessions were direct work with my client. I'm fortunate to have parents sit in on sessions, but I haven't been taking advantage of that. As I've worked on building my own parent coaching skills, something I frankly didn't do a lot in my previous years as a school district SLP, I've become more comfortable with doing much more parent coaching during my sessions. It just makes sense. What's going to have a higher impact? Me modeling go with cars and sitting with the kid or making a schedule for the child with the parent of their daily routines and identifying where in the day parents can model go, like going outside to play, getting in the car to go to ABA, um, riding on a spinner toy, playing chase with the dog and more. We can easily come up with at least a dozen and probably hundreds of opportunities to model words when there's parent training and collaboration and when that becomes the intervention. And therefore we can see more progress. It is important to do this with parents who really buy into this model and want to do this model and to also explain to parents why you're doing it. But I'm so convinced it'll change my therapy for the better. It's something I implemented immediately in my own practice when I got home from ATIA. Lesson four, learning more about the least to most prompting hierarchy. So I was aware of this. I had seen AAC prompting hierarchies online. If you'd like to look for them, just seriously go to Google. There's so many good visuals. Um, but seeing that AAC has a least to most prompting hierarchy, so you're going to start with the least amount of prompting, and having it to refer to is really helpful in making sure we aren't providing the most prompting first just because it's what we're used to doing. Um, So instead of starting with the most amount of prompting, which is pointing to the device or symbol, modeling on the device, or physical touch, if you do that in your practice, um, instead of starting there, we should instead start with 
the least amount of prompting. So thinking about tempt and pause, using body language, offering an open-ended question or statement. Getting into my AAC sessions with my students and reminding myself of my commitment to start with less prompting and then move uh, to higher prompting means I don't automatically go into pointing to the symbol on the device when I'm in a session. Of course, I can always increase that support, but I want to start with the least amount of support and see what the kid can do each time. Lesson five, find a way to offer more communication opportunities throughout the day. For example, making a schedule of the child's day and writing in opportunities to use a target word. So I talked about this briefly before, but in the pre-conference session, Chris mentioned that choosing a word like put, having that be your word of the day, of the week, whatever you want to do, and working with the team to identify where in the child's schedule you could model that can be really effective and successful. For example, coming into school, you're going to put your coat on the hook. You might put your backpack in your cubby or locker. At circle time, you might put the picture of yourself on the daily chart or put the type of weather outside on the board. Chris said, see if you can get to 100 to 200 opportunities, and I haven't gotten anywhere near there yet. But this scheduling tip is really valuable in focusing on where a student spends their entire day. It's not just about you and the child in your speech room. And by zooming out, we can see that this is a team approach and it's not just about what happens in speech. We don't have to carry the world on our shoulders. The child also wins in this situation because they get some focused modeling and teaching all day long, not just in, in your 20 to 60 minutes with the child. Lesson five, or really idea five, is I learned ways to use Canva for open-ended speech therapy sessions. I loved the session on creating engaging activities using open-ended design tools with Enders and Gregory. Here's how I'm using Canva in my own sessions, just as one example. I have a toddler with childhood apraxia of speech who really only likes a few things. So Blippi, Bluey, and Giraffes. I created a presentation in Canva and those preferred characters are all over the presentation. And I got those images from Google Images. And those characters go places. I got the background images right on Canva by searching under photos. They go to a park, they eat dinner, they go to the zoo, and more. On each page, I have five target words. I got the images by searching for elements on the left-hand side in Canva. And on each page, we say those five words before going on to the next page. I can very easily switch out the words or the scenes in just a minute or two in between sessions. So I've been using the same presentation for the student for many, many sessions now, and it's just as engaging. So again, it's just a presentation with backgrounds. I got right in Canva of places to visit like a zoo or a park. Then I went to Google Images and got pictures of her favorite characters, and I copied and pasted those into the Canva presentation. I removed the background so there's not like a white background of those characters. You can do that right in Canva by editing the image. And then I searched Canva for images 
um, for my five target, like most lately, N initial words. So like not, gnome, nay, you know. Um, because basically all the pages are the same, they just have different backgrounds. So again, each page has the same five words since this is CAS and I'm trying to get lots of trials of a small set of words. This is a super easy activity to design. And once I had it, again, it just takes a minute or two to update the words. Or if we need to say the same words, I'll just change out some of the backgrounds so that the characters are going to a different place. Like I might uh, delete the zoo and um, insert a beach. So I do that between sessions to keep it fresh. And I do use Canva for both telepractice and in-person sessions. Lesson seven from ATIA, ask less questions, give more statements. Instruct, don't question. Asking fewer questions is something I've already been working on doing with all my clients. I was very much trained in a model focused on writing goals where you have to take tallies for data and then focusing on the tallies. It's something I'm really trying to get away from um, in order to do more child-led therapy. I learned at the conference that AAC users often get asked a lot of questions and they're often questions that the person asking already knows the answers to. By instead of focusing on wait time, open-ended statements, modeling comments, and finding engaging activities, I'm slowly making progress on asking fewer questions. If you'd like a framework for this, you can look up the Master Pal framework by Tabby Jones Wolver. It's also in a Talking with Tech episode. Um, so M is for motivate. A is for accept multimodality. S is for statements are better than questions. T is time as in wait time. E is engaged naturally. R is response not required. P is presumed potential. A is appropriate prompting. So again, least to most. And L is let the child lead. So again, focusing on teaching, making more statements and asking less questions. Lesson eight, what vocabulary should we target? Look at what the child is doing already and build on that. So when considering what vocabulary to target, I'm gonna look at ways and purposes that the child is already communicating. So if the child is reaching and pointing, I'm going to say, okay, they're reaching and pointing. I'm gonna add language to that, like help, look, that. Um, and I'm also gonna do a spontaneous language sample. What are they saying? that's not prompted because a lot of what my kids are saying right now is prompted. Lesson number nine, reduce expectations and increase engagement. There may be times when kids don't wanna answer all the questions we asked, like we talk about in tip seven, or they may seem to not wanna use their AAC device when that happens, think about reducing expectations and increasing engagement. What would be fun? How can we participate in this engaging activity or routine together? Often as educators and SLPs, we're testing kids a lot and the kids notice. Reducing the questions and the expectations and increasing the fun and engagement is something to keep in mind for all kids, but especially in times where you feel like maybe you aren't getting engagement or you're getting some pushback from kids who don't wanna use their device. Lesson 10 is about literacy and wait time. 
It's the RAPP reading strategy, R-A-P-P, by Binger, Kent Walsh, Ewing, and Taylor, 2010. So again, R-A-A-P. <laughs> R is to read the text and provide a multi-symbol aided AAC model and also use the symbols for students with a speech generating device. A is to ask a question and provide an aided AAC model and then wait five seconds. The second A is to answer the question and provide an AAC, an aided AAC model, and to then wait five seconds. And the final P is to pro provide a brief verbal prompt, like your turn or show me. So that's the wrap strategy for literacy. I hope these 10 tips were helpful. They were from ATIA 2022. If you have any questions or want me to expand on these again, feel free to DM me on Instagram or go to slphappyhour.com forward slash contact to fill out the form. Let me know anything you'd like to hear more about. Before you go, did you know that SLP Happy Hour gives professional development courses to districts and other workplaces? You can see the current lineup of topics at slphappyhour.com forward slash speaking. We would love to speak to your workplace. Do you want more from SLP Happy Hour? Sign up for occasional updates from us, including easy lesson ideas at slphappyhour.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Tecalma and Cow Creek Umpqua tribes. Today's weather report is 70 degrees Fahrenheit and sunny, which is unexpected for a February day. Alex and I have ripped up a deck in our backyard that was rotting, and we're working on building a patio. So yesterday, with the help of wonderful friends, we had shovels and wheelbarrows and got about 18,000 pounds of gravel from the driveway to the backyard, then using a compactor to flatten it as we went. We aren't quite ready to put in the pavers. There's more work to do, but that'll be a future step. And if we're being honest, I'm walking pretty stiffly today after a full day of heavy work outside yesterday. It was hard work, but much more fun with friends. And um, we bought them some dinner. We got Indonesian takeout and just chatted. The food was delicious and it was a good night. This episode was sponsored by the SLP Happy Hour Teachers Pay Teacher Store, where you can find materials designed for the SLP looking for low prep and effective lessons, including the parent handouts bundle we chatted about at the top of the show. I hope this episode has been a slice of an SLP happy hour for you. Thank you for listening. See you next time.